The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. A reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. When one of these who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Thank you, Mary. Um, Let me pray again as we get into this. Father, I pray this morning that you would uh, give us ears to hear from you through your word. You would give us eyes to see what you're showing us. I pray that you would um, make me an instrument of truth uh, as I speak, and anything that comes from me that's not from you would would find no purchase in the hearts of people here, Uh, but that you would give us a deeper understanding of the beauty of what it means to be people who are invited uh, to your banquet, and uh, we thank you for this. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so you've been in the situation, I know you've been in the situation, we all have, where you're at a restaurant, you're having a meal, and you hear from somewhere off in the distance in the restaurant, maybe clapping, or a drum, or something, and you see, right, you see waiters, hosts, bussers, and they're in a, they're in a line, and, they're, and they start to gather around a table that's in the same room as yours, and they announce, right, somebody has a birthday here, and we're going to celebrate. What do you do? What do you do in that situation? Because they're going to sing, they're going to start to sing, and they've asked you to join in, in that celebration. What do you do? In, in a Jewish culture, uh, so I spent some time living in Jerusalem as a college student, and, and I learned some things about, um, about parties, and one of the things I learned, in a Jewish culture, um, it's a sin to decline an invitation to a party. So when somebody invites you to a party, it's, it's called a mitzvot to go. Uh, mitzvot is a good deed, right? That, that you want to do a good deed. And so what people will do is they won't invite you to the party. They'll just tell you it's happening, right? They'll say, we're having a birthday celebration here at this time. They won't say, will you come to it? Because then you're kind of on the hook, right, to, to 
you're putting the person in a position to have to commit a sin if they can't come, right? And so, and so that's, that's the idea. I had a seminary professor who told us as students, when the waiters come out and the busters come out and the hosts come out and they're banging the drum and they're about to sing happy birthday, the Christian thing for you to do is to sing. You need to join in that celebration. Why? Whether you want to or not, you need to join the party. Why? Is it because, well, that's the polite thing to do? No. It's because the person who's being sung over in that moment is made in the image of God. And something really sacred is happening in that moment. You're in the middle of one of the most sacred exchanges that happens in this life. And that is one life is being celebrated by other lives. And so you sing. I love the fact that if you've never thought about this before, I just messed you up. Because now every time you're at a restaurant, and so you're going to have a theological crisis when they bring the sombrero out and the sopapillas. You're like, I don't even know the way they do happy birthday. I don't even know this version of happy birthday. And yet you're going to feel duty bound before the Lord to say, ah, I got I to gotta, I gotta sing happy birthday because this is an image bearer of God who's being celebrated for being alive. And that's what we do, right? But it requires a particular way of viewing celebration, does it? Because with any party, you have to ask the question, why are we going to this? Why would I go to this? What, what's this for? Why is this gala being thrown and why am I a part of it? In today's text, God has planned a banquet and he's extended invitations. And some of these invitations are ancient. They're ancient. He called Abraham and his descendants to himself. I will be your God. You will be my people. This will be an everlasting, unbreakable covenant. The, the invitation is ancient. Some of them are more recent. Some of these invitations are forthcoming. But here's the thing about God's banquet. Every seat at that table is going to be full. Every one of them. There will be no empty seats at that table. And so one of the most theological questions that we can turn over in our hearts is this. Who has a seat at that banquet? Who has a seat at that banquet? And on what basis have they come? And so I want to get into the context of Luke 14, give a little bit of context there, um, mention a couple of things, and then, and then get into the heart of this, this parable. Luke 14, the whole chapter is really focused on a time when Jesus is invited to a Pharisee's home for a meal. And so there's Pharisees there, teachers of the law, Jesus there, his disciples are there. And during this meal, Jesus tells the religious leaders who are there these words. And I'm going to quote from the verses that are just before the ones we read today. So these are Luke 14, verses 12 through 14. Jesus told those gathered, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a banquet, when you give a feast, invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So Jesus has been invited to a party and he's taking this opportunity to say to his hosts, hey, next time when you throw a party, 
don't just invite the people who can invite you back, but invite people who would never imagine that such an invitation would be extended to them. A couple of notes about what's happening here. The first note is that this is really timely and relevant for us. Um, People who live in America right now, people who live in Nashville, Tennessee, um, because what Jesus is talking about in these verses is he's talking about the difference between self-emptying love and transactional relationships. And we live in a city that runs on transactional relationships. We are a collaborative town, and we run on transactional relationships. I connect to you because there's something that you have that I want or need that helps me. Connections, enhanced credibility for being associated with you, some resource or skill that you have that I need. And if we're not careful, we will end up making every relationship in our lives a transactional one. It's easy to do. They're actually easier relationships to maintain because you don't ever have to deal with the person. You just have to deal with something the person has to give you that you want. And we'll even turn existing relationships into this. Parents will do this with their children. They will say, I need my kids to perform in a way that reflects well on me. So kids, don't mess this up because I have a lot riding on it, right? Or, or we'll say, I need my friends to publicly cheer me on in the things that advance my image. But I also need to box them out of the places where I fail so that they won't be, ever have reason to be critical of me. So it's timely for us that Jesus is saying, listen, when you throw a party, make sure that it's not a party just filled with transactional relationships. The second thing I want to note is, is just to, to stress what Jesus is saying made everybody there uncomfortable. It was an uncomfortable thing to say. Self-emptying love was not how the religious leaders lived. It, it wasn't the way that they lived, and really they had no desire to change, and that's what's happening in our passage when we get to it, and you see it when this person says at the beginning, he says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. See, Jesus has just said, when you throw a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, those who can't repay you, and you will be repaid at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this guy says, actually, you know, anybody who gets a seat at God's table, we're all blessed, right? What's happening here? What he's doing is, with this statement, he's taking the focus off of the very specific thing that Jesus is talking about, giving the poor a seat at your table, And he's expanding the idea to this general truth that anyone with a seat at God's table is blessed. And of course, who's going to argue with that? But that's not the point Jesus is making. Jesus is trying to make a very focused point. And this person is saying, I I mean, I guess we could bless people at our table. But you know, anybody anybody at God's table is blessed. And what Jesus is doing is he's issuing a rebuke right now. And somebody in the room is like, I'm uncomfortable with this rebuke, and so I'm going to try to save the mood. And I'm going to do this by making this benign statement of blessing that everybody in the room will agree with, and we'll all be back to feeling comfortable about how things are. You can almost see him raising his cup as a toast to like, you know, blessed is anybody who has a seat at God's table. And we do this, right? We take searching, focused statements that make us uncomfortable and we turn them into general empty ones. 
We do this. I want to give you an example, a specific example of a way that I saw this happening, and perhaps you did too, um, in recent years. A few years ago, there was a series of highly publicized, it seemed like it was happening almost every day, highly publicized instances where black men were being killed by police officers. Remember that? It still happens. still happens today. But we recall the days where, where the news was focused on people gathering in protests around the country. Do you remember turning on the news? And it, it's, it's protests that are happening all over America, and people are gathering. And it's a horrible thing, what was happening, right? It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for those who suffered these unspeakable losses. It's heartbreaking for those who are in law enforcement, who genuinely love and serve communities, but are viewed as complicit because of the actions of others. And the situation's complicated. It's broken. And it's in need of deep healing and humility. I mean, we even saw this just yesterday on the news of these high school kids and this indig- at this indigenous people rally, if, if, if you were paying attention to the news at all, just this, this, this racial um, mocking and, and, and tension, it's still, it's still a very present thing. Don't, don't think for a second that our country has dealt with its race issues, because it hasn't. But for the sake of the focus of the sermon, I want to focus on something specific from those protests. Okay, you still with me? One of the prominent messages that came from those protests was the hashtag Black Lives Matter. We've all heard this, Black Lives Matter. And Black Lives Matter in that context at that time with those protests and all the things that were happening in our culture, it was a focused searching thing to say, right? It's a focused searching thing to say in light of what was happening. And it was raising the question for people, do you value a black person's life in the same way as you value a white person's life? That's the question. Or a more blunt statement might be, do black lives matter to you? Well, within minutes of the hashtag black lives matter came a rebuttal, all lives matter. That hashtag started flying around. You remember this? Why would people respond in this way? Nobody's going to argue with that. Nobody's going to argue with the hashtag all lives matter. Of course, all lives matter. Many who even held the Black Lives Matter signs would completely agree with that statement. Of course, human life is precious. But to counter with all lives matter to people who are raising the objection that there seems to be a systemic inequality in the way black people are treated as compared to white people is either to miss the point or to dismiss the conversation. And we can't do that. We have to listen. We need to examine our own hearts before the Lord. We must. And that's an example that I've seen recently of a place where somebody has said, I have something specific and searching and perhaps confrontational to raise. And the response being, let me say something that's kind of benign in general that will just kind of take the air out of what it is that you're trying to say. And so what happens here in this text is Jesus has just said, Invite the weak, the wounded, the sick, and the sore to your tables. And somebody said, you know, all invited to God's table are blessed. Jesus is by no means ready to just move on from the conversation. So the parable in the passage that we read is him doubling down. 
and saying, no, 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 we're not going to take my searching focused statement and turn it into a general benign one that nobody's going to, that doesn't have any teeth. We're going to focus on this. And so he's not ready to have his searching statement dismissed by someone else's empty one. So he uses this opportunity to tell a parable, which is a story with a point, right? Jesus told parables. In fact, this was his primary way of teaching. Stories are great. I love stories. I'm captivated by stories. I tell stories. I listen to stories. I lean in when stories are told. Stories are a a Trojan horse for truth. With a story, you can sneak a lot past the gates of somebody's self-defense by just telling them a tale. David had this happen to him when he had an affair with Bathsheba and had uh, Uriah, her husband, killed in battle. Nathan the prophet came and said, let me tell you a story. And he told him this story, right, about a shepherd or about a poor man who had one sheep and then this this, uh, kind of sheep mogul, right, who had all the sheep. And he saw this poor man's sheep and he said, I have all these sheep, but I don't have that sheep. And so he took that sheep. And David was like, that guy needs to be judged by the Lord. And Nathan said, you're that guy. See what happened with that story? You can sneak a lot past the gates of someone's self-defense. Jesus did this all the time. It was his primary method of communication, at least in what's recorded in the gospel, his primary way of teaching. And so he tells this parable to press the point because the Pharisees dismissed what he had just said by saying, well, everyone at God's table is blessed. And for the guy who said it, it's a statement that just kind of happily includes himself, right? And Jesus says, in effect, okay, then let's talk about that table. Let's talk about that table then. What will it be like? Will it be as you presume? Who ends up coming to that table? Who ends up coming to that banquet? Jesus, said, Jesus is saying there's going to be some surprises along the way here. Every person in the room would have followed Jesus' parable here. They would have got the analogy, the metaphor. They, they would have understood that the man who's holding the great banquet was God. They would have understood that the many that he invited was Israel. He extended an early invitation in the parable, a heads up that this is coming. They would have understood that as the covenant that God made with Abraham, that this was something to look forward to. And Jesus takes the story then and he turns it. And he says, okay, now the banquet time comes. And so the servant goes out and says, that banquet we told you about, it's happening. Here's when it's happening. Get ready. But what happened? Life Life had crowded in, and so the people had gotten busy, they'd gotten distracted, they'd gotten focused on other things, and one by one, they began to decline the invitation that they had previously accepted, and their reasons seem legitimate when we look at them, but they only seem legitimate to us because we're pragmatists. They seem legitimate, but what's happening here is what they're saying at the heart, is they're saying, what I'm doing takes precedent over what you're doing. And so Ty goes to me, and it doesn't work for me to come to the banquet that you're throwing. To those who are so sure they're insiders to God's favor, Jesus is asking the question, are you sure? Are you sure Will you accept or will you decline the invitation to the feast of the Lord? Will you favor your own life 
over the Lord's call to celebrate with him what he's doing. Well, hearing the refusals, the master tells his servant, go into the rest of the city, invite the weak, the wounded, the sick, the sore, and then go outside of the city and invite foreigners because this banquet is going to be, it's going to be full. It's going to happen when it happens and it's going to be full. This going outside the city is a reference to the inclusion of Gentiles into the body of Christ, which was such a scandalous thing in the time of Jesus and in the time of the early church. This idea that Gentiles would be considered as being folded in to the covenant promise that God made with Abraham, that he would be their God and they would be his people. And oh, by the way, they would be a blessing to the world and all the nations would be blessed through them. This is the truth of the gospel. Christ calls all nations to himself freely. The Great Commission, go into all the world, preaching the gospel and baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Every tribe, tongue, and nation, right? This is the Great Commission that we've been called to. How we respond then to God's invitation overflows from the true nature of the existing relationship that we have with him. This is the part that's hard to hear, right? Is that how I respond to an invitation does not determine what our relationship is like. It's actually just an overflow of what our relationship is already actually like. So how we respond to God's invitation overflows from the true nature of the existing relationship we have, we have with him. It reveals what we believe. It shows us what's really in our hearts. And it's this. If I can't be troubled to respond to God's invitation to celebrate what he has done, then that reveals that at least in some measure what he has done doesn't really matter that much to me. Or it's not that important to me. Or it's not as important to me as the other things that are so important to me about me. Me, me, me. Right? It reveals that we feel entitled to his blessing, but are not responsible to engage with him unless we want to and unless it works. It reveals that our relationship with him is a transactional one. I embrace spirituality for what it benefits me. Peace of mind, the aura of having some depth as a person, credibility that I'm basically decent, that you can, that you can trust me. In this passage, Jesus is raising the question, and it's a question that all of us should interact with, and it's this. Is your faith a transactional affair? Or is, is the object of your faith what you get from God, or is the object of your faith God himself? In this passage, Jesus is saying to religious people, examine that. Examine your presumptions about how all this works. Because to prefer anything over God's invitation shows that we've chosen a different path than the one he walks. Jesus makes a strong statement about judgment at the end of this passage. Jesus talked about judgment a lot. If the Jesus that you prefer is just cool with everything... That's not the Jesus of Scripture, 
right? He says a lot of things that are strong, and he makes a statement of judgment at the end of this passage, and he says, look, people who think they're entitled to a seat at the table of the Lord will discover they don't have a seat there at all because they have nothing with him, because they can't be bothered by him. They don't really belong to him. It's like Richie talked about last week. Jesus regularly confronts us with his authority. He demands allegiance. And he tells us pretenders will be judged as such. So what the master is angry about is connected to what the party is about in this passage. And so I want to look at that connection as we land this plane. The master's anger is a response to those who basically what they're doing is they're taking his name in vain. They claim to be his people, but they're not interested in what he's doing. So they're taking his name in vain. They claim to be his people. They don't want to celebrate his joy. The banquet comes around and they're unmoved. They yawn at it. See, I've got all these other things that are more important than what you're doing. Didn't they know? The party's for them. The party is for them. Do we understand what God's great banquet is about? It's a celebration like nothing the world has ever seen. And what it's focused on is how God has restored a rebellious, stiff-necked people to himself through the sacrifice of his son. That's what the celebration is about. It's about his love for us. This party is about that. The once and for all establishment of God's eternal kingdom, which will be marked by perfect peace and provision for all by the end of every sad thing. Think about it. Every sorrow that you know in life right now, every sorrow that you carry, Every one of them will end. It'll be gone. For some of us, those sorrows are relational. For some of us, those sorrows are physical. For some of those sorrows, they're material. They're, they're all going to be done. They're all going to be resolved. Who's going to come to that feast? Those who want to celebrate the work of God. Who are they? They're those who know that they need what only he can give. The weak, the wounded, the sick, the sore. People who never imagined that God would show such kindness. People who feared that their lives would be defined by the miseries of their pasts. People who had to have their self-righteousness pried out of their hands by the truth of the gospel. People like us. People like me. Tomorrow marks a significant day in my life. Tomorrow marks the 30th anniversary of my conversion. January 21st, 1989, 15 years old. I know we're ending. I'm not going to tell the story for very long, but I want to tell you this, partially because I'm asking you to celebrate with me. 
but partially because it's amazing to me that I have a seat at God's table. That for one such as me, my story is God called my parents to himself when I was about five. And I observed, even as a kid, a transformation in them. I saw them change. I didn't know how to describe it, but I saw it. And I knew they were different. And I knew they were praying over us now. And they were taking us to church. And they were reading scripture on their own. And they were studying. And they, and they loved Jesus. And they were talking about Jesus. And I remember thinking about it and trying it on. And, and, and being a good kid and going to church things. And then in high school, I, I was a part of a, a church in our town that had this thriving youth group that took these, these retreats. You know, we're getting ready to do one. It was kind of that sort of thing. And I went to this retreat, and on the opening evening, we're gathering around in a circle, and we're singing worship songs together that are being played on a cassette deck. Uh, and we all had, like, blown-up printouts of the lyrics. And so side A was fast songs, and side B was slow contemplative songs. And, uh, and Hosanna Integrity cassettes, if you remember those. And so I'm, I'm standing there in this circle, and we're singing. And just in a moment, it hit me that I had become a Christian. It wasn't an altar call. It wasn't a compelling, like, you need to get your stuff together before God. You're going to get hit by a bus, and then what? It wasn't one of those. It was more of just as, as a 15-year-old standing there singing these songs, not really connected to anything I was singing, but it was just a moment where a light went on and I knew I had become a Christian. I was one. I believed. And I, and I knew in that moment, even though it was a very newly formed faith, I knew that everything would be affected by this. And now I'm 30 years later, I can't think of a single thing in my life that isn't touched by that, that isn't shaped by that in some way. Not, as, not, not the person I married, not the way our family works, not the way our kids are raised, not the kids I have, not the job I have, the vocation, the interests, the things that, 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 that cause my heart to respond when I engage with hobbies like hiking and stuff like that and I'm standing in beautiful places. All of that has been shaped by this invitation to the Lord's banquet. 30 years ago tomorrow. As we see in this parable, God's celebration doesn't wait on us. His banquet is not set by our willingness to go. It will carry on as planned. It will be completely full. There will not be an empty seat, and it will be awesome. And the good news is this. All we bring to God's party is us. All we bring to God's party is ourselves, nothing else. The good news is that's all God wants. All God wants from you is you. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for this passage, this picture that we are given here where we see that you call people to your banquet table. Many who would never imagine that such an invitation would be extended, and yet you're the one who does the inviting. 
and it's your prerogative to invite who you want. And you extend the invitations based on mercy and kindness and grace and goodness and holiness and justice, everything that you are. And so, Father, thank you for passages like this that remind us that at this banquet table, it's not a table of entitlement, but it's a table where an invitation is extended and we respond because of the mercy and the grace that we've been shown. Protect us from self-righteousness. Rid us of that. And grant us a humility and affection for you as we anticipate the day when the table that we're about to come to will be replaced by the marriage supper of the Lamb. Lord, you're kind and you're good and you're holy and you're faithful. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.